Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our August 21st, 2008 edition of the show, 5.06 on the clock, 5.06 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here in Irvine, California. Uh, in addition to our opening music there, uh, I got a right. We had something there from David Rovix called Election, which is relative to what we'll be talking about today. In a little over two months, we've got another uh, presidential election here in the U.S. The talking heads and the political pundits of the corporate news media are quite fixated on the horse race and get themselves excited about non-issues such as flag pins. But not only are real issues of important, uh, real issues of importance relevant to whom we put into office being ignored, the most important concern in regard to elections is completely taken off the table. That is, is the election for real? Are the votes counted as cast? Are all those qualified citizens intending to vote allowed to vote? Is the rightful person declared the winner? Even though there is ample evidence that through the last four election cycles, the answer to those questions is no, we rarely hear a peep about it from the mainstream news media. Discuss discussion of it has become taboo. One man who will not admire the emperor's new clothes, who will not ignore the man behind the curtain, who will not stay down the rabbit hole, is Mark Crispin Miller. He has been working tirelessly as one of the leading voices for electoral reform, as uh, one of the leaders in meticulously documenting real theft of elections in the United States. He's a professor of media studies at New York University and, and has authored several important books on media and propaganda. Professor Miller's been with us before to discuss the two different editions of his book, Fooled Again, How the Right Stole the 2004 Election, and Why They'll Steal the Next One, Too, Unless We Stop Them. He's back today to talk about his latest work, Loser Take All, Election Fraud and the Subversion of Democracy, 2000 to 2008. Professor Miller, welcome to the show. It's great to be back, Robert. Thank you. I always get so much out of your work and uh, sort of feel uh, a duty to try to pass this along. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll move right along with what you've uh, got going in addition to what we've already talked about. So, uh, Loser Take All is a uh, compilation of some of the best writers on the subject of election integrity in uh, even though the corporate media try when they can't ignore it to paint the notion of election theft as fringy or kooky, there are many respectable researchers, journalists, and academics besides yourself who have been documenting this. So uh, what were you looking for in the people th that were included in Loser Take All? Well, I, I wanted to put together a book that would represent some of the best work that's out there uh, some of the best minds who are at work on this subject. And I also wanted to sort of cover the waterfront and give people a sense of just how uh, widespread and frequent uh, election fraud is, or has been, I should say, since and including 2000 on the part of the Bush regime, which uh, actually wouldn't be in power at all if, if it weren't for the fact that they've stolen elections not just presidential contests, by which I mean, of course, the last two, but congressional and gubernatorial races as well. I wanted to give people a sense that it's not just, you know, the hanging chads in Florida in 2000. It's not just the, the, the supposed squeaker in Ohio in 2004, but it's nationwide. It's extensive. Uh, it's decisive. It's deliberate. And it involves uh, a really stunning range of dirty tricks and tactics and includes both vote suppression, you know, old-fashioned vote suppression, kind of Jim Crow measures taken to make sure that people cannot register and or cannot vote, vote suppression and systematic fraud uh, primarily, although not only through the use 
of computerized voting. That, that's what I wanted to do with loser take all. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, because these works don't get reviewed, it's, it's up to me to say, I think it's a really good book. You know? <laughs> uh, it's, it's powerful. It's lucid. A couple of the essays are, are highly technical. You know, I wanted some of the mathematically inclined readers to get a sense of, of how sophisticated some of this work is. But it's it's quite accessible. It's readable, and and I think for people who haven't been keeping up with it, it's it's pretty it's pretty shocking. Well, yeah, I I think your books are always spectacular, and uh, both editions of Fooled Again just were so rich with data, and uh, it's uh, if I would direct people people to one book I, that's what i've always done you know go to fooled again you got to read that one and so I, i'm really glad to see that there all these other people are included in this book loser take all because there are several other people out there who are doing great work and that right. it's it's uh although you have probably done as much or more than anybody it's there are a lot of people very respectable people who are doing work that is not uh these are not conspiracy theorists. These are people who are looking through the real data. And you, you mentioned some things that are very technical. And I know we had uh, Bruce O'Dell on the show, and uh, he and Jonathan Simon uh, wrote. Uh, now, are they statisticians? Is that what they they are? Well, uh, Bruce is a computer uh, programmer, and Jonathan is uh, kind of a statistician, uh, you know, with a with particular expertise in polling. They are with the Election Defense Alliance, and, and, and uh, their essay has to do with, the, uh, with, with how the Republicans actually stole about uh, 20-some House seats in 2006. Uh, it's important to make that clear to people because all too often, you know, it's an interesting thing, Robert, maybe it's not that interesting, but it's, <laughs> it's worth noting that, that People tend to shrug off election fraud if they're basically content with the results, you know. I mean, this explains why so many Republicans, including principled ones, have been really slow to cotton on to what Bush and Cheney have done with our votes. But it also applies to the Democrats, who, who have mostly been really, really bad on this issue and who seized on their winnings in 2006, I think, as a kind of excuse to, you know, deny that there's any problem. I mean, they won 29 House seats, therefore everything's okay. You know, my view is that this is a quaint view, <laughs> that mm -hmm. our elections are not about the parties. They're not about candidates primarily. They're about our voting rights and our self-government. So it's important to understand that the Republicans actually uh, failed to steal all the seats they intended to steal in 2006 for reasons that Jonathan and Bruce go into in fascinating detail. Yeah, uh, it's a great uh, piece they wrote. And, and if I could sum that up a little, it's, it's that Democrats didn't complain much in the 2006 congressional elections, or didn't complain at all, because they picked up several seats and they thought, well, this is fine, we like this result. But if you look at pre-election polling and exit polling, it seems that they should have won actually many more seats, and it should have been this huge landslide. Sure. And, uh, and then what Jonathan and Bruce uh, put together in this article is some evidence that there seems to have been a skimming of three to four percent of the vote pretty much throughout the country right. and, and if you take that into effect if you remove that three or four percent skimming there are several more seats that the democrats would have won and the skimming all went one way it all went toward republicans and the, the what also is very interesting to me about that 2006 election is that there were a couple of senate races that were very close and the Democrat was declared the winner in these two particular uh, races that I'm thinking of. And the Republican loser had every right to ask for a recount. On a close election like that, you have that right. But in both cases, they declined to do it. Yeah, right, like George Allen in Virginia. Uh, yes, and I think <laughs> the other right. one was, that was in... That was hilarious, because on election night, 
uh, he was, you know, making a lot of uh, uh, really, uh, you know, tough noises about how they were going to look into this and so on. But, of course, they, they couldn't because they were so busy trying to steal the election that any serious investigation simply would have gotten them in trouble. I mean, in Virginia, the, the fraud and the, particularly the vote suppression was so, was so drastic all throughout the day that the FBI was actually in Virginia looking into it. Uh, so you're quite right. I mean, I think that the Republicans who lost had every right and maybe even an obligation to contest it, you know? I mean, why, why should we simply accept the numbers at first blush in any race? But they didn't, and they wouldn't. There's also another essay in Loser Take All, by the way, speaking of 2006, by an Illinois activist named Jean Kaczmarek, who did a great piece about uh, Tammy Duckworth, who ran for the House for uh, Henry Hyde's old seat, this is in DuPage County, which has been called the worst place to vote in the United States. Jean lives in DuPage. And she just does a terrific and really kind of poignant essay on the various ways in which Tammy Duckworth was robbed of her victory. And with only half the votes counted, uh, Rahm Emanuel, the Democrat, called her and told her to just give it up, throw in the towel. And this happened in a number of races. It happened in three Florida races. It happened in, in, in several cases nationwide. You know, the party basically muscled people into uh, just surrendering. And that's, that tells us a lot about the Democrats, I think. Yeah, it does. But what, what exactly is it telling us? Is it, uh, is it that they don't want to be perceived as sore losers, or is it something more? Can you go into that? Because if we look at all of what's been going on since 2000, all of the election fraud seems to be to the benefit of the GOP and the detriment of the uh, Democrats, and so that if they would go into investigating this thing, these things and recounting, they would stand to gain. So why is Rahm Emanuel and uh, other Democrats, why are they seeming to be against this? Well, it, it, it is... It is a poser, you know, and people often ask that question. In fact, the people who don't want us talking about this issue pose that question in a particular way, as you know, which is, well, obviously there's nothing to this, or of course the Democrats would be contesting it. Well, that's, that shows, you know, that hostile question shows a kind of fundamental misunderstanding of, of human nature, I'm afraid. I think that in, in a few cases, maybe more than a few, uh, the Democrats who won't get into this issue are corrupt and compromised by their own connections to the voting machine companies. I mean, somebody like Steny Hoyer of Maryland, for example, is notoriously soft on, on electronic voting and, and hostile to any attempt to reform it or get rid of it. But I think now, you know, based on my own experience since the last election, the last presidential race, my own deeply frustrating and kind of baffling experience trying to get the Democrats to focus on this thing, I really do believe at this point that what we're dealing with here is, is a denial, psychological denial. You know, uh, you, you know quite well that, that uh, I had this controversial encounter with John Kerry in October of 2005 when I, I uh, arranged to meet with him at a, at a fundraiser here in New York to give him a copy of Fooled Again, which was just off the presses as a hardcover. And I was all geared up, you know, to try to talk him into opening his mind to the possibility that he'd been robbed. So I was staggered when I opened by handing him the book and said, you were robbed, Senator. And he replied, I know, and went off on a tear complaining about people like Chris Dodd and other Democrats who he said were in denial. He used that expression. He said they refused to talk about it, they won't get into it. So we had about, a, I don't know, a 10 or 15-minute conversation. I, I, I implored him to embrace the issue. He said he'd think about it. He had the sour grapes problem, but, you know, I made the case that 
the evidence was all on his side, and it's not about him and his race. It's about all of us, etc. I was walking on air. A week later, I told this same story on uh, Democracy Now! And, uh, you know, the Internet lit up. People flipped out, saying all kinds of things. You know, this was great, or why didn't he say it in the first place, whatever. But after a few hours, his office released a statement categorically denying that we'd even had the conversation. This is all in the afterward to Fooled Again. And I, I allude to it also in the introduction uh, that I wrote to Loser Take All. Now, what, what I took away from this was, I mean, everybody was saying, oh, Kerry, that, that coward, that weasel, you know, he's afraid people will call him names. Well, I thought that, too, for a few minutes until I realized, you know, if Kerry really believed in his heart, that is to say, if he assimilated the realization that he'd had his race stolen, then what would he care if people call him names for talking about it? It didn't make any sense to me. In other words, if he really grasped the gravity of what had happened to him, if he, if he allowed himself to face that, he wouldn't have cared if people call him names. He wouldn't have cared if, if there were you know, snide editorials about him. The fact is that he can't face it. He couldn't face it. Gore can't face it. Uh, Rahm Emanuel, Schumer, these guys are all corporate Democrats. They're not really deeply committed or even superficially committed to universal suffrage, to you know, popular self-government. These are just not things that really matter to them. Uh, what matters to them is you know, the corporate consensus. They're big donors. You know, Kerry's a billionaire. I mean, let's be honest. He's not going to go to the mat for our voting rights. This is why he never really, well, he never even acknowledged all the litigation in Ohio after 2004. He didn't spend a nickel, and he amassed like 15 million bucks for that very eventuality. Well, you know, I think the reason for this is that he just can't go there. And, and if anyone wants a really um, edifying analogy to how the Democrats behave, all they have to do is read about the Social Democrats in Germany in the 30s. They had exactly the same attitude. They refused to face the, the dire situation they were in. They had all kinds of preposterous reasons not to get that worked up about it. And, uh, you know, what happened happened. And I think that, that explains why the... You know, people like Rahm Emanuel and Chuck Schumer would be very quick to call Democrats who had lost or ostensibly lost their elections in 2006 and would be quick to say to them, okay, let it go, because these guys like to tell themselves that they have come to terms with the other side, that they have basically kind of divided up the turf with the Republicans. They're playing the game, you know, like good insiders. They don't understand what people like Karl Rove and, and particularly the religious right, they don't understand the ferocity, the hostility, you know, that, that, that motivates their political enemies. Uh, you know, the, the Bush regime has all but destroyed American democracy. They've all but trashed the American republic. They have, they have, they have really deep-sixed the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. I and mean, what they have done, this isn't just your grandfather's political scandal we're talking about here. This is, this, is, this is real subversion. A few Democrats get this. A couple of Republicans get it, too, you know. Kucinich gets it. Wexler gets it. Ron Paul gets it. But Pelosi, Reid, the rest of them, they, they can't get it. They won't let themselves get it. So I think that this helps us understand why the Democrats are, are so bad on this issue, why your Senator Feinstein... <laughs> so so bad on this issue. I mean, she's proposed a bill that you know basically leaves computerized voting in place. I mean, talk about cluelessness, you know. But I have to say, you know, we were talking before about the corporate press. You know, I don't see much difference between the corporate press and the left press on this issue, and I can't really think of that many flaming liberals or good lefties who have faced what's going on. I mean, let's, let's talk about Michael Moore for a minute, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. the guy's done great stuff, there's no doubt about it. And that footage in, you know, uh, 
Fahrenheit. Know, uh, yeah, Fahrenheit 9/11, showing the, the, what happened in 2000 in the House of Representatives. That's 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 stunning. I mean, that's important. That's yeah. really shattering. Well, where is he on the 2004 election? Well, I'll tell you where he is. He's nowhere. I mean, he's got a new book coming out, and it, and it basically his his argument is the Democrats are going to lose because they don't listen to Michael Moore. They don't <laughs> talk to him. Uh, they attack him too much. If they if they talked to him and followed his advice, they'd win. That's what he says about Kerry in Ohio. <laughs> you know, Kerry would have won if he'd listened to Michael Moore. It's not a question of whether or not Obama runs sufficiently left. I mean, I'm not an Obama fan myself. The guy's a centrist. He always has been. He always will be. That's not the issue. You know, if 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 he if he had absolutely perfect politics from an unimpeachably progressive point of view, that's not going to overcome election fraud, you know? No. These, these guys, they're not going to be defeated by the right agenda, right? So um, Michael's just one of, of quite a few people who, who they're just not there on this issue. So, so, you know, maybe it's partly denial, maybe it's egomania. I don't know what it is, but... You know, your show is one of not that many that has dealt uh, scrupulously and often with this issue. And, and for that, you know, I have to thank you. Well, I thank you as well for all of the great work you've done. And, uh, yeah, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, Robert Larson, KUCI in Irvine, speaking with Mark Crispin Miller. And he is a professor of media studies at New York University and has written uh, written now uh, three or four books on election fraud and uh, how that is going on in this country. And we're talking today about his latest work, and that is Loser Take All, Election Fraud and the Subversion of Democracy 2000 to 2008. And uh, at this time, I should probably also remind you all that the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And, uh, yeah, it, it is really strange, uh, Mark, that... Uh, People you would consider the progressive left liberal uh, press and media would have more interest in this. And even on the, uh, I don't know, Air America radio talk shows, it, it gets talked about a little bit. But I noticed some of, some of the hosts there won't, won't go there. And I, I see uh, Rachel Maddow, who's becoming quite popular now and getting on uh, MSNBC. It seems to me that the more that she has... Her star has risen, and you see her more on TV, the less she has talked about anything to do with election fraud. Have you noticed that? Oh, I've certainly noticed that. I, I've been, uh, uh, let's see, twice I've appeared with Rachel, you know, publicly. Uh, I like her very much personally. I think she's extremely intelligent, and there's no question but that she's quite progressive. But she will not deal with this issue on the air. She absolutely will not. And I, I think I understand what's, what's happening there, you know. The fact is that, and this, that everything I say about Rachel applies equally to Keith Olbermann. There's really no difference between them. You know, if you watch his show uh, or, uh, you know, Dan Abrams' show, which I guess she's replaced now, you see that what, 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 they, what they do when it comes to election stuff is a kind of, it's a kind of sports casting, you know. You get the day's news, and they kick around the question of whether this thing that happened today is a, you know, a good move or a bad move. Will it hurt or help Obama or McCain? Uh, in other words, they stick to the theatrical side of, of the uh, whole phenomenon and will not step outside of that um, that purely spectacular context, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. They assess the day's theater. This is exactly the way the New York Times covers politics. It's all about, you know, style. They talk about debates. They talk about the candidates debating style, you know. They, they never really talk about whether what somebody said was true or false. They never really range far beyond the, the show, you see. And I... I can't help but be reminded when thinking about Oberman that he is a sportscaster, and 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 this kind of this kind of punditry is exactly what you get when you watch the Olympics. I mean, it's what's what's what we're getting now when we watch the Olympics. Now, you know that 
kind of banter is fun. It isn't very taxing. Uh, and it's obviously, this is going to sound harsh, but it's lucrative, you know? I mean, it's a good gig. Yeah. I mean, I would like to do that, you know? <laughs> but the, the, the thing is that if you, if you step outside and say, look, all the stuff we're talking about is basically irrelevant, you know? All the stuff we're talking about, all the smears and the question of race, it is ultimately really irrelevant because what it does... Okay, what this kind of purely theatrical stuff, uh, what, what this kind of discussion does is it tacitly defines the show, the theater, the back and forth, the arguing, the ads, the attack ads, you know, Jerome Corsi's book. What it tacitly does is to define all that stuff as decisive so that whatever the result of the election seems to be, people will then turn around and say, well, Okay, okay, that's why Obama lost. He, he lost because of the attack ads. He lost because of the racism. You know, he lost because of Jerome Corsi's book, see? It, in other words, these people never question the numbers. They, they get the numbers that they're handed by a bunch of private voting machine companies and corrupt state officials, you know. They take those numbers, and they assume that those numbers are legitimate. I mean, you watch CNN, you watch MSNBC on election night, and basically you have four or five pundits sitting in a row, literally, looking into laptops, all looking at the same numbers, right? And then Wolf Blitzer or, or, or uh, Chris Matthews, whoever it is, will call on each one in turn and ask them to do a little riff on what the numbers mean. But not one of them, not one of them will ever ask the question, well, are these numbers really, do they mean anything? Are they sound? Are they real? Have we counted all the votes? How many people couldn't get into They don't ask that question. That would be to function as a spoil sport. You know, that would be to say, hey, you know, all of our discussion is sort of irrelevant. In other words, it's like, astro it's like astrology. Yeah. See? <laughs> Whereas what we're talking about is astronomy. And I don't mean to badmouth any ast astrologers out there. Uh, no. I actually <laughs> think there's probably more to astrology than there is to this kind of crap, you know? Yeah. But I think that, I think that Rachel, uh, yeah, and I can't say, look, let, let me, I'm going to be as honest as I can. I mean, I'm a tenured professor, Robert. I have job security, okay? Yeah. If I were dependent on a parent company, a corporate parent company, and ratings and all that stuff for my bread and butter. And I got a family to support. I can't sit here and pretend to you that I, I wouldn't, you know, engage in this kind of trivial nonsense. I might, you know, got to mm -hmm. make a living. The fact is I do have tenure. I know I have that privilege. I mean, I earned it, but I have it. And, you know, I believe that I should take advantage of it and say things that people like Rachel and Keith Olbermann and all the rest of them, you know, can't or won't say. But I will add that, you know, you look at The Nation, you look at Mother Jones, you look at TomPaine.com, you look at a lot of left publications, and they're not there, you know. They're not there. And, and day after day after day after day, they're talking about the show. And at a certain point, the show is irrelevant. Yeah, and I, where you will get the discussion is on some of the the websites and the blog sites. And exactly. Uh, exactly. Brad Friedman, you include in the book. His site is great. Uh, Brad blog. Yeah, Brad it, blog's great, and Brad has a great piece in the book that he wrote with Michael Richardson. Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for the internet, we it would be hopeless. You know. On the other hand, if it weren't for computers, we might have. <laughs> elections that are, were not so easy to steal, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is Out the Rabbit Hole. Robert Larson uh, talking to Mark Crispin Miller. We're discussing his latest book, Loser Take All, Election Fraud and the Subversion of Democracy, 2000 to 2008. And, yeah, while we're, we're talking about the machines and the most infamous of all, the Diebold machines, uh, I, I got to talk about this because this happened pretty recently, and uh, there was... Um, Let's see. Okay, in the book, you have a chapter by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. discussing the absurd situation in 2002 in Georgia where the Senate and governor's races were won by decent margins by Republicans who just a week before the elections uh, trailed by decent margins in, in the opinion polls. And uh, these were the first 
statewide races that use these infamous Diebold machines. Now, recently, Raw Story, another good website, ran a couple of articles about a, a whistleblower close to the uh, Georgia Secretary of State's office who claims that an unauthorized mysterious patch was personally installed in the machines by Diebold CEO, CEO uh, Bob Yurosevich. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in just two counties, both Democratic strongholds. Right. And, and so, and, and now a GOP uh, cybersecurity expert, Stephen Spoonamore, has come forward confirming that this patch was irregular and suspicious. And that evidence has been t turned over to the Justice Department. Do you have yeah. any more information on that? Oh, I got a lot more about that, and I'm glad you brought that up because this changes everything, you know. I mean, what, what has happened recently with this big RICO lawsuit in Ohio, uh, a lawsuit uh, in which uh, Stephen Spoonamore is, is the star expert witness, what has happened is, is major, it is of incalculable importance, and it changes everything. Now, let, let me first backtrack and just say a word about Georgia. Uh, the piece in Loser Take All by Bobby Kennedy is indeed about the uh, application, the illegal application of a soft, an un, un, unapproved software patch on all the Diebold machines in two populous Democratic counties of Georgia about six weeks before Election Day in 2002. And that's based on a Diebold whistleblower named Chris Hood. It's a great piece, and I you know, naturally recommend it. It's in the book. Now, as I point out in my preface to that essay, Chris Hood is actually the second whistleblower to talk about the illegal software patch. The first was a guy named Rob Baylor, okay, who also worked for D.C. Bold. So Baylor talked about this, you know, like in 2003, and I think he was on Nightline, and then he went right down the memory hole, or the rabbit hole, if you will. <laughs> then uh, Chris Hood came along and told Bobby Kennedy... The, the same story, but, you know, this is from a different witness. Now Larissa Alexandrovna of Raw Story has reported a third whistleblower close to the Secretary of State in Georgia, verifying it for the third time. And Spoonamore, who is a Republican, by the way, has confirmed it. So we have four different sources, right, telling us that Max Cleland... Uh, was uh, robbed of his re-election in 2002 by Saxby Chambliss. Incidentally, as I point out in the introduction to Loser Take All, there were, there were four very suspicious outcomes to Senate races, four different states in 2002. There's a little problem with our attempts to appraise those Republican victories by reference to the exit polls, because in 2002, there were no exit polls, okay? There weren't any. Yeah, and <laughs> was, was that just, the exit pollsters just decided they didn't want to do that? There was a computer error, oh, hmm. okay? Strange, <laughs> yeah. and highly convenient computer error. So, okay, all right, so 2002, you know, this, let's remember, let's put this in context. The Republicans had just lost control of the Senate in the spring, because Jim Jeffords had, had switched parties. Right. So what do they do? Well, they fixed the races in New Hampshire, in Georgia, in Colorado, and, and, and arguably in, in Minnesota. But they didn't use deep old machines, so, you know, there are other things going on that we're still studying. But in New Hampshire and in Colorado and in Georgia, they used deep old machines. And we know also in New Hampshire in 2002, they engaged in the phone jamming, right, because people went to jail over that. And that was paid for by Jack Abramoff. Well, okay, anyway. Oh, but now, Jack Abramoff wouldn't do anything wrong. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> now, check this out, Robert. Here, here's the story about Stephen Spoonamore, and this, ch this changes everything. This changes the tone of our conversation here. It changes the outlook for 2008, because I do believe that if it were not for this uh, lawsuit and this testimony and the existence of this star witness, we can just kiss this next election goodbye. However, Spoonamore's revelations and the fact that he has come forward give us hope that we could actually prevent this election from being stolen, but only if, only if Spoonamore's testimony uh, uh, gets a broad hearing. Okay, now that's the big if. Now here's the deal. Spoonamore is a Republican, 
He also was a member of the McCain campaign until a few months ago when he finally resigned because he had learned so much about the Bush machines, which is to say Karl Rove's election fraud activities, that he couldn't in good conscience work with McCain anymore. So he's a Republican, an erstwhile member of the McCain campaign, and thirdly, as, as a, you know, his profession has been the uh, investigation and exposure of computer fraud. That, that's his job. He has a military background. He really knows his technical stuff. And he uh, has been cultivated at great length by the nonprofit Velvet Revolution, which is, of course, the, the nonprofit that also subsidizes Bradblog. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, Spoonamore has the goods on all of them. Spoonamore has attested and has emails and all kinds of stuff to back it up that the Bush people have indeed been engaging in systematic and deliberate computer fraud in our elections since 2000. He has named Karl Rove's IT guy, okay? Karl Rove's go-to guy, his tech guru, the guy who has basically followed Rove's orders in race after race after race is a guy named Mike Connell, C-O-N-N-E-L-L. Connell is a fervent Catholic and a fanatical pro-lifer. He told Spoonamore he has helped the Republicans steal elections to save the babies. That's a quote. Oh, wow. Okay? Now, this is stuff, as you know, I've written about this in a kind of abstract way, saying that there's been a lot of Christianist participation in this election subversion and so on. Well, it's, it's all true. Mm-hmm. It's all true. <laughs> okay. So Connell's fingerprints are all over every suspicious election that we've lately lived through, from Florida 2000 to Don Siegelman's stolen re-election in Alabama in 2002. By the way, there are two essays on that in Loser Take All. Ohio in 2004. Now Connell is afraid because Rove, you know, since Spoonamore started to talk, uh, Rove started to pressure Connell to take the rap for all of this, and Connell won't. Rove then threatened Connell threatened that the Department of Justice, which I guess Rove runs... <laughs> it appears that way. It appears that way. The, the DOJ would investigate Connell's wife, Heather, over some, you know, financial impropriety, allegedly, right? They're very good at this kind of thing. So Connell has become very quiet. But the fact is this. Now, here's, here's the crucial thing. The purpose of this lawsuit, it's a RICO lawsuit, its purpose is to enable the deposition of Karl Rove, of Mike Connell, of Jack Abramoff, of Congressman Bob Ney, who just got out of prison. Bob Ney was the author of the Help America Vote Act. Mm. Of a guy named Thor Hearn, I know he, you know who that is. He started something called the American Center for Voting Rights, which is a front group. <laughs> propagating the idea that there's all this democratic voter fraud. There's a big network of people who have been engaged in this conspiracy to subvert American democracy. The purpose of this lawsuit is to depose them all. Now, this is a civil case, not criminal. It's civil. We know from the Paula Jones episode, you cannot get out of a civil deposition. So my argument is this. Let's just stop waiting for Nancy Pelosi John Conyers, to deal with this because they won't. Let's stop waiting for the press to pay attention to it because it won't. Let's depose these guys, you know, legally. Let's get them on the record. Let's get them under oath. Let's ask them pointed questions. Let's get their answers. Let's tape the depositions. Let's get them out there. I promise you that if, even if some lefty outfit like Raw Story, you know, which I love, were to uh, release a Rove deposition, I promise you the corporate media would finally pay attention to that. Uh, Moreover, the guys running this suit have had a very good response from some mainstream press outlets because they're not all completely in the tank. But the fact is that this this is something that we can and, and must do, and it's something that people can actually help with by donating because... To get these depositions done is going to take a considerable war chest. So I'm going to recommend a particular website to your listeners. Sure, sure. It's uh, 
rovecybergate.com. All one word, rovecybergate.com. That's a dedicated website run by Velvet Revolution. There's a donation button there. People should go to it. They should give. I've been helping them raise money. Now, let me say this, and I'm going to you know, kind of repeat something I said before, but elaborate on it. There is no other way to ensure that the next election won't be stolen. There's no other way. Everything's in place for them to do it. I mean, I don't entirely buy this Zogby poll, which puts McCain and Obama neck and neck, but it doesn't matter. The perception that they're neck and neck is out there. Mm -hmm. The perception that Obama's vulnerable is out there, right? We've all heard that there are so many closet racists in this country that in the privacy of the polling booth, they'll all vote for the white man. There's, this is an unverifiable claim. I mean, it's, it's faith-based reasoning, right? Right. They're already it's trotting that matter. out, yeah. We, we don't know if it's true or not, but, of course, people will buy it. They'll use it. We've all heard that uh, the Hillary Clinton supporters will never vote for Obama. All the pretexts are in place is what I'm saying. Yeah. Or, moreover, you know, the Supreme Court has uh, upheld the Indiana voter ID law. There's stuff going on all over the country day after day after day to make it possible for the McCain people to steal this election. And the Obama campaign, by the way, is clueless about this. Obama suffers from the same arrogance that Kerry suffered from and that Gore suffered from. They won't talk to the election integrity people. They think they have it all under control. They think they got enough lawyers, you know, floating around <laughs> as if those guys know what to do. So they're clueless. They're hopeless. There's one way to prevent this from happening, and that is to shine a very, very hot spotlight on all the perpetrators of this kind of thing, because then they'll be so tied up and so preoccupied and so furtive that they won't be able to do it. They won't be able to do it again. You know, and then, you know, then, then, at last, it will make sense to concentrate entirely on getting out the vote. Right. And, and that website again where people can donate to support the lawsuit? Yeah, rovecybergate.com. Rovecybergate.com. And, and what is, is there any kind of timetable on that lawsuit right now? What is the status of it? Well, the, the, the whole point of this thing is to do it as soon as possible. So the lawyers are Cliff Arnebeck and Bob Petrakis, who, as you know, has a great essay in Loser Take All about Ohio since 2004. Uh, and stuff's been happening in Ohio, even with uh, a, a Democratic Secretary of State. Uh, that, uh, you know, uh, could very well throw that swing state to McCain. So these lawyers fully understand that, that, that speed is of the essence here, and they have no intention of letting this thing drag on forever. Let me add that they have a good judge in the case, and by good I mean principled, you know. I don't mean like he's you know, a flaming leftist, because <laughs> there aren't that many on the bench, but that's beside the point. I mean, we don't want Hugo Chavez to be the judge in this case. We want somebody <laughs> who believes in the law, you know, and this guy does. So the signs are auspicious. The, 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 the problem, as ever, is that people are hearing about this from me, right, tonight on your show, <laughs> when it should have been covered by the Times. You know, th this, this is incredibly important because the guy, the source here, is, I want to repeat this, a lifelong Republican. Uh, an erstwhile McCain supporter, and and a real expert in, in computer crime. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't get more uh, credibility than, than that. Is oh, no. So this guy, yeah, is, is great, and uh, I you know, really hope this will go forward. And again, encourage you to all uh, make the donations there to uh, help this lawsuit along. I, I assume it's uh, nonprofit, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, so in, we've uh, mentioned uh, uh, Ross Story and Larissa Alexandrovna and uh, the whole Don she, Siegelman. Oh, by the way, she has a piece in Loser Take All also. <laughs> yeah, no. She, she's, has a, she has a piece on the Siegelman, uh, the Siegelman uh, scandal. Right, and, and I had her on the show here to talk you know, for the whole hour just about that when I first heard about it. And, and uh, so, yeah, that whole thing is, is fascinating uh, because... It has, the Sigelman affair has the scandal of electoral fraud dovetailing with the scandal of the politicization of the Justice Department. You right. know, Sigelman saw 
the vote for his apparent re-election flipped in the middle of the night. Then, when he was preparing to uh, try to win the seat back four years later, he had these bogus criminal charges brought against him. And yeah. uh, so it's just, it's really frightening when you see that, it, that it's not just the electoral fraud. It's it's the Justice Department, and it's just, it, 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 it we're really up against something huge. Oh, and let me add this. I mean, this just came up today. In fact, I spoke about it today on KPFK. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce. You know, uh, the, the defendants in this case aren't just the Republican National Committee. It, the Chamber of Commerce, uh, both both national and state, has been functioning as an illegal political arm of Rove's operation since Bush was first installed. They have spent almost $400 million, which they funneled to, to front groups in order to defeat uh, or unseat uh, judges whom they regard as insufficiently pro-business. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Arnebeck, the lawyer in this case, has uh, actually sued the Chamber of Commerce over this because they spent about $4 million bucks to unseat a, a judge named Resnick in Ohio because they didn't like her rulings. Uh, another party to this suit, that is to say another defendant in the suit, is, is uh, the big tobacco companies because they've been heavily involved in not only in the election stuff, as you note, but also they're connected to, to a lot of these selective prosecutions. You know, what happened to Siegelman is now happening in Alabama and Mississippi to a whole range of, of Democratic office holders, uh, state legislators, uh, a couple of fundraisers. It's, it's really uh, frightening what's happened in the Deep South. Uh, and it makes a certain sense because, of course, the Deep South was where Jim Crow was born. Now we've got kind of like Jim Crow on steroids where they're going after not just African Americans, but anyone who gets in their way, you know. I mean, even Republicans who, who get in their way, you know. Uh, they are ruthless and deeply corrupt and... Um, you're right. This thing is, is just enormous. It's the biggest scandal in this nation's history, without a doubt. Yeah, and it's, it's just, it seems, yeah, it's, you're not sufficiently right-wing, not sufficiently corporatist. That, that's how bad it or has become. Or sufficiently religious. Yeah, right. And uh, we had Mikey Weinstein on the show last week of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, oh, yeah. and he's talking about the military. If you're not re, uh, Christian enough. It's it, the, the corruption has gone through there as well. So we're just out about out of time here, uh, Mark. So if we could uh, real quickly uh, go over which is what is maybe the most important part of your book is your uh, 12-step program to save U.S. democracy. If you could go into that a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, it's a 12-step program to uh, basically make the elections honest, and it, it does not deal with uh, the more structural issues of, like, you know, breaking the hammerlock of the two parties on the system. For that, we need to get proportional representation. And it doesn't deal with uh, clean money or funding of elections. It only deals with the mechanics of election. And I think, as such, it, 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 it's an extremely useful uh, summary of the things that need to be done. Uh, the first thing is we got to repeal the Help America Vote Act, uh, which, as I say, uh, Congressman Bob Ney wrote in consultation with Jack Abramoff. You know, it's a terrible piece of legislation. We've got to get rid of it. Uh, and we have to move away from any kind of computerized voting whatsoever. I don't just mean the paperless, the notorious paperless machines, the touchscreens, which we're still going to be using in a third of our precincts on Election Day. But I also mean optical scanners, which shouldn't be used to count votes, because with optical scanners, even though there is a paper ballot, you literally cannot watch the votes be counted. And if you can't have an open and observable vote count, you don't have a democracy. So I think we've got to get rid of computerized voting. We've got to move to hand-counted paper ballots. We also have to get rid of computerized voter rolls because we've learned over the last six months or so that now that the voter rolls are computerized, it has frequently been observed that Democratic names have simply been bumped from the lists. That's got to stop. We also need, I think this is, this is fundamental, 
although it's probably the most difficult of the 12 steps to realize. We've got to make it illegal to declare a winner uh, before we know that all the votes have been counted. This is going to make the networks uh, mad with rage, and, and uh, they will flip out and scream about their First Amendment rights. But it's deeply destructive and irresponsible for them to use their inadequate polling, their, their you know, fractional samples, to project winners when you've got such a, a serious crisis in election integrity which means that we can never know if the vote was, oh, that's an exaggeration. We cannot know immediately if, if the vote is righteous. Uh, you know, and we, I, I think people should be automatically registered when they're 18. We should do away with all the exclusionary laws uh, that have been, you know, put in place and recently strengthened and, and multiplied to make voting more difficult. Uh, those are, those are some of the steps that I can recall off the top of my head. Do you remember any others you want to talk about? Uh, no, well, we're, we're pretty much out of time here, but I'll just recommend to everybody to uh, check the book out. And yes, Loser Take All, Election Fraud and the Subversion of Democracy, 2000 to 2008. Mark Crispin Miller and uh, his earlier books on election fraud, Fooled Again, excellent. Uh, what is... Uh, Cruel and Unusual, The Bush-Cheney New World Order, another great book. And, and we really appreciate all that you write, Mark, and it's, uh, it's always great to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Robert. Uh, it really is great. It's been a pleasure, and I, I expect we'll talk again in the not-too-distant future. Well, I look forward to it, and uh, keep up the good work, and just thanks so much for being with us today. Okay, take it easy. Okay, bye now. Yes, Mark Crispin Miller. Professor of Media Studies at New York University and one of the leading voices in uh, bringing forth the uh, data about our elections being stolen and about what we can do about it. And uh, yes, his latest book again, Loser Take All, Election Fraud and the Subversion of Democracy 2000 to 2008.